0: Om sahanavavatu, Sahana bhunattu, sahaviryam karavavahai, vidvishavahai Om shanti shanti shanti. May the Lord protect us both, teacher and the taught together, by revealing knowledge. May he protect us both by giving us the results of that knowledge. May we attain vigour together. Let what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. Now, we, were, we just did mantra number 19. Eshate agnir nachiketa swargyo yama vrinitha O Naciketa, this is for you the boon about the fire that leads to heaven for which you have prayed through the second boon. People will speak of this fire as yours indeed, O Naciketa. Ask for the third boon. So what we have here is... The culmination of this, this story is coming to the climax where uh, Nanchiketa is going to ask the question, which leads to Vedantic teaching. We know the story so far. Uh, the little boy Nachiketa, he was uh, he was skeptical about what his father was doing, organizing a big sacrifice where he was supposed to give everything away, but he was giving his father was giving only uh, the things which he did not want, a sort of uh, a double dealing. The little boy forthright he asked to whom will you give me? And the father was irritated at this uh, and said, I'll give you to death. And so Nachiketa goes to the house of death, waits there three nights because death was uh, away on tour or something. And then death comes back, Lord of Death, Yama. um, And he realizes that uh, this was a mistake on his part, inadvertent though it be, be, that uh, this boy was waiting for him without food or drink for three days and nights. So he offers him three boons. The first boon, Nachiketa, says that, uh, let me go back. When I go back to my father, let my father be happy with me and let him forget all his anxiety and anger. The second boon, he asks for the best kind of Vedic sacrifice, you know, the kind of religion his people were used to at that time. So what's the what? how do I go to heaven, basically? And now the third boon. The third boon we know that is, it's famous in this story that he asks this question about the mystery of death. So let's go to that mantra and then we'll see where it takes us. The 20th, the famous question of Nachiketa, which basically sets the tone for the rest of the book. The rest of Kathopanishad is an answer to this question. This is the question. And the answer to this question is the rest of Kathopanishad and the main theme of Kathopanishad. Whatever we saw was just the setting, the background for the story the real vedantic teaching will come after this 20th mantra yem preete vichikitsa manushe astitye ke nayam asti iti chaike etad vidyam anushishtastvayam varanamesha varastritiya the meaning of this mantra is there is this doubt that arises upon the death of a person. Some say that this person exists. Others say that the person does not exist. I would like to know this, instructed by you. Of all the boons, this is the third one. This is what Nachiketa is saying. A a query arises when we see death inevitable. We see everybody dying, and we know we are going to die too. It is guaranteed. Um, But the mystery of death is that what happens upon death? Uh, After death, there's this whole discussion. There are people who say that um, nothing exists after death. And there are those people, those who say that there is something uh, that exists after death, something goes on after death. And this is a great, great question. This is a question that has always been asked and has puzzled humanity and has, has led to the birth of religions, actually, this question. And I would like to know the answer to this question from you, O death. So this question, the answer to this question is is the boon he's asking for. The answer to this mystery, the solution of this mystery. This great question about death. Um, Swami Vivekananda, in his um, Jnana Yoga lectures, he talks about the origin of religions. And one of them is when you look out at the universe, you see these various forces of nature... And uh, ancient people they thought that there are there is some power behind all these powers of nature, so uh, ultimately that all coalesced into one power, which is God. so there was one track in which religion uh, developed. another track was inwards uh, ourselves we all see death, death is inevitable, so this great barrier and that is we hit this barrier in time at one point, everybody we know. Uh, good, bad, whatever, they will die. Or they have um, died and they have gone on. And we too will die, that's sure. So what happens after that? This question also led to the development of religion. Uh, So this is the great question and the answer will come in due course. Um, Notice all of Vedanta um, starts with these questions. The Upanishads, they deal with these uh, such questions. Some big questions of life. So in Katha Upanishad, this is the question of Nachiketa regarding the mystery of death. In the Mundaka Upanishad, which we shall study in due course, we'll see there is another student who goes to a teacher and asks a question. And the whole Upanishad is an answer to that question. Um, so the this Shownaka who was uh, rich and prosperous, who had many uh, you know, who had many uh, sacrifice altars, that's how they Designated someone who was rich, powerful, successful in life. He conducted many Vedic sacrifices. You see the common Vedic background of these Upanishads. The Vedic sacrificial background. So, um, Shaunaka, who was evidently a very successful person, he goes to this master Angiras and asks the question, "Sir, um, Sir, what is that by knowing which everything is known? And that's the beginning of the, uh, the Mundaka Upanishad, the teachings of Vedanta and the Mundaka Upanishad. That's another theme of Vedanta. One theme is the uh, reality which, which is, lies beyond death, uh, the mystery of death, answer to that. Another one is, what is the one reality of this entire universe, knowing which everything is known? In the famous Chandogya Upanishad, where we come across Tattva Masi, that thou art, there also... Uh, the teacher and the student. There the teacher is the father and the student is the son. But the, it's the father who asks the question. He says, son, do you know that knowledge by knowing which everything is known? Same, same question. And then the answer in that sixth chapter of the Chandogya is an answer to this. And his, basically the answer is you. When you know yourself, you know uh, that by knowing which everything is known. In the Kena Upanishad, it starts with a question. Kena, the word, very word Kena means by what? Mana, yukta, vadanti, Impelled by what do thoughts arise in my mind? Does my mind go to various things? Uh, from where do these words arise when I speak? How do I have this experience of seeing, hearing, and also smelling, tasting, touching? So all our experiences of life, you know, sensing and doing things, all of that. What is that common thing which gives me all these experiences? And we know it's consciousness, but anyway, that's the question. And the answer to that question is Keno Upanishad. So, similarly, these are profound questions about the nature of ultimate reality. Um, not who is God, is, can God be seen? There's already you've assumed something there. Here it's very fundamental. I look at the world and I look at myself and I ask these fundamental questions about death, about how is my conscious experience possible, all this life, how is it possible? What is the greatest knowledge? How can we know everything in this universe? So these are the questions. And Nachiketa asks one of these fundamental questions. These are the real spiritual questions real spiritual questions. Not how can I overcome my depression? How can I tackle that annoying neighbor? My son or daughter doesn't listen to me. These are not deep uh, spiritual questions. These questions also will be answered. Every, Every question in our life will be answered to our satisfaction. But you must ask the deepest question, the most fundamental questions. Now, this question itself is interesting because you see... Um, Swami Vivekananda said, this question leads to religion. When you see death, th- there was a time in very ancient times when they discovered that death of the physical body is not our death. There is something else that continues. What is that? They called it the bright body or the subtle body. The bright body or the subtle body is nothing other than um, um, you know our thoughts, feelings, emotions, our internal, uh, the mind itself. This is, what, this is what constitutes us, body-mind. Now, one view might be that the mind is nothing but the body. Basically, we are body. Fundamentally, we are body. So when the body dies, at physical death, the body dies. Nobody disagrees. Materialists agree and the spiritualist people, the spiritual people agree. Everybody agrees that at physical at death, what dies is the body. Now, if we are only the body, if we are fundamentally the body, then at the death of the physical body, that's the end. There is nothing more that remains. I mean, you can say that your legacy remains, people's memories about you remain, what you've done in the world remains, but that's all secondary, that's evading the issue. Do you remain? Do I remain after the death of this body? In some sense, at least. The way I understand myself, that one, does it remain? So those who think that the body is the only reality, And everything that we are, including so-called mind and consciousness and everything, basically is born of the body. Who says that? In ancient India, it was the charvakas, the materialists. And today, it's uh, all the materialists, whether in philosophy or in science or medicine or physiology, who say that the body is, you are the body. And you might say, but but what about mind? We are thoughts, feelings, emotions. Um, They will say that, look, what you call mind is just products of the um, chemical activity, the electrical activity in your brain and nervous system. Your neurons are firing. There is biochemical activity going on in your brains. That's what's giving you the feeling of having thoughts, uh, memories. That's what constitutes your distinct personality. You might say, yes, but how? How does the brain produce the mind? the materialist will answer we really don't know but it does it does why would you say that because because matter is the only reality the whole universe is matter energy time space that's it how do you know that there's nothing else and it's a powerful way of thinking it's an elegant way of thinking notice it's also a monism it's a kind of one reality is matter with all its variations with its superstrings and quarks and whatever that's the ultimate reality and body is just a very complicated form of matter somehow it produces the byproduct which you are you're a byproduct somebody said that according to material uh, this reductionism um, we are nothing more than the fizz in a coca cola bottle the coca cola bottle is fizzing there's fizz, fizzing in there and so we the person just the fizzing going on is this body activity and just the fizz is this this what we are. Nothing more than that. Um, the phase of matter interacting with more matter. So that's one view. Nachiketa says, there are some who say nasty. There's nothing more. That's it. Death is the end. And there is those who say, no, there is something more. There are those who say that... Um, Physical body only dies. There is no proof to show that the subtle body. So, subtle body is not a fizz, Is not a byproduct. It has its own existence. It exists with the physical body. Something like data in the cloud. Just because the physical computer is broken or laptop is broken does not mean your data is gone. You buy a new one, you can download the same data. So, similarly, um, the software running inside these, this hardware. That is not gone because just when the hardware breaks down. The subtle body, thoughts, feelings, emotions, you the person, I the person, I still continue. The ancients discovered this in every civilization of the world. Not just civilization, pre-civilization. The so-called primitive people, the, the cave dwellers, the Stone Age people, they also had burial rituals, they also gathered together in groups and they felt that the person we are burying or burning, that person is going on. There there is something more to give offerings. Most ancient cultures, all of them, they have um, ideas about ghosts. Who are ghosts? Who die. Uh, Halloween. If you look at Halloween, what's what's Halloween all about? Why are there so many ghosts and demons there? If you look at the origins, it is all saints. Uh, It is a a Christian uh, practice of Remembering the saints, but that, if you go further, it's remembering all those who are dead. So people who died, uh, all hallows from which Halloween uh, has come. Which means uh, we feel that they exist even in, without the body. The physical body is destroyed, but they exist. So that's the idea of a ghost. A ghost is a subtle body without the physical body. We are all ghosts, actually. We just have a physical body going right now. When the physical body goes, we'll just be the ghost. And look at the difference in language. In English, we say death means he gave up the ghost. In India, we say he gave up the body. So here the stress is on the physical body um, and the life going out of the physical body. There the stress is on the subtle body and the subtle body leaving the dead physical body behind and going on. And these people who believe that the subtle body exists without the physical body, they say it's the subtle body which survives death and which goes on to other worlds, you know, heaven and other places, and which can be reborn in new bodies. So this person with the subtle body goes on and can become another person. The personality also changes, the body also changes. You are a new person, new identity, and life, not just one life, but many, many lives you can live, and you do live. So there are these people who believe this. This is the question he's asking. Now little, if you dig a little more deeper here, um, we know in Vedanta that if you analyze the human personality, we have the Atman pure consciousness, our reality, plus the causal body. If you remember, this is why Vedanta Sar is so useful. The causal body, um, the Karana Sharira, then the subtle body, the sukshma sharira, and then the physical body, the sthula sharira. So three bodies and consciousness are atman. Atman, of course, there we are all one atman, but the three bodies are different for each person. Now at physical death, the physical body, sthula sharira, dies. But the subtle body does not die and the causal body does not die. And that's what transmigrates, goes to other worlds and other lives. That's the jeevatman Atman. Behind it all is the Atman. Atman never comes, not, never goes. Because it's infinite, all-pervading, non-dual. It is the one reality in all things. It's just like the screen of the movie. When um, in the movie, you find the hero goes from one country to another. The screen does not go from one country to another. The screen enables this movement to happen. It, it displays that, that possibility. So the subtle body and the causal body Sukshma-sharira and Karana-sharira with the Atman, always the Atman is there. They travel, the subtle body and the uh, causal body. Physical body is broken. Another example would be, suppose there are pots in a garden, many pots, they're full of water, different sizes and shapes. And in each pot, the sun is reflected. So pot, water, reflected sun, tiny sun, and the real sun in the sky. The real sun in the sky is one. Pots are many. The waters also are many. And the reflected suns in those waters are also many. When the physical the pot breaks or is damaged what does the gardener do? He takes the water and he pours it into another new pot. When he pours the water out, what happens is the water along with the reflected sun you see, it travels to the new pot. Now compare the physical pot, the pot to the physical body this one. And the water inside to the causal body and the uh, subtle body, karana Sharida, sukshma shadira, and there the little consciousness is reflected. The real sun is reflected there. That's what we call in Vedanta the chidabhasa reflected consciousness or awareness, which we feel right now. And this is the one that travels. This is called the jiva, sentient being. Now, when Nachiketa asks this question, what is he asking about? Clearly, physical body dies. So he's not asking about that. Um, Is he asking about the Atman, the Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss, the ultimate reality? Or is he asking a question about the sentient being, that which travels from lifetime to lifetime, this subtle body, subtle body, causal body, with the reflected awareness? Is he asking about the pot? Is he asking about the water with its reflected little sun? Or is he asking about the real sun? I'll repeat that. What is this question about? The part is broken. So he's not really asking about the part. But is he asking about the traveling water, which goes from part to part? Or is he asking about the sun? Is he asking about subtle body, causal body, reflected consciousness? That's one. Or is he asking about pure consciousness, infinite existence consciousness? He is asking about Atman, pure consciousness, Brahman, our reality. Why do you say so? Because after all, even the subtle body also survives the death of the body. So he could be asking about that. One thing is, the subtle body and the, that surviving the death of the body, these people were already pretty convinced about. Moment, he's asking a question about going to heaven, the second boon. Uh, how do I go to heaven? So he is pretty much in that paradigm of, he at least believes, even if he doesn't know, he believes the general belief of his people, the Vedic people, that we don't die with the body. The soul survives, the jivatma, it survives and it goes on to other worlds and other bodies. You can actually travel to heaven in that one. So, those things are sort of understood. Is, but what he's asking is is there a higher reality? Is there an ultimate reality? What are we finally? Not the body which dies, not the ever changing little puddle of water which goes from pot to pot, you know, the subtle body, uh, causal body complex which goes from lifetime to lifetime, beyond the ghost, beyond that, what are we, are we really? That's what he's asking. Um, how, am I, how do I know? How do I know? I know because if you look at um, Yama's answer to his question, it is about Vedanta, about the reality about ourselves. It's the answer to the question, who am I? And later on, in the second chapter, which will come, uh, Najiketa, because Yama will now test him. And Yama, Yama, uh, Yama wants to make sure that he's a fit student for Vedanta. Yama is going to test him. So offering him temptations and all, Najiketa turns it all down and again asks the question. So the second time he asks the question, it's in different language. It's very precise. He asks beyond all these dualities, the ultimate reality, what is that? Tell me that. I want that truth with a capital T. I want to know who am I, the self with a capital S. Not the physical self, not the subtle self also which travels from lifetime to lifetime. So that's the question and that's why it's Vedanta. Um, Shankaracharya, the commentator here, he makes an observation before we enter into this question. And one sentence, a remarkable sentence, I want to read that out to you. And so he sets the stage. He he wants to show us what has happened till now and what is being asked now. How is it so different, so enormously different from our life, from our humdrum life, worldly life, or even the otherworldly life? How is spirituality different from conventional religion even, different from worldliness, different from otherworldliness also, conventional religion? How is Vedanta higher than all of that? What is this profound nature of this question he wants to show us? So I will read out that in Sanskrit. This is Shankaracharya's commentary on the introduction to this question of Nachiketa. Before Nachiketa asks, Shankaracharya, he, he flags this for us. Now we are going into the third boon. And how is this third boon? this question, how is it so unique compared to what has gone on earlier? Let me read the sentence out, then I will. Uh, tell you how it's remarkable I'm going to read out the original Sanskrit for you yes So Shankaracharya says and I'll translate everything visayasya <inaudible> atmani Sya, bijasya, vijyanam, phala shunyam, iti One sentence. So they were fond of long sentences. One sentence. What did he say here? I will use Gambiranji's translation and then we will analyze it. It gives us a beautiful idea of what is Vedanta all about actually. This is the translation of this one sentence. Hence, for the elimination of the natural ignorance, which is the seed of mundane existence, which consists in superimposing activity, agentship and enjoyment on the self, and which has for its contents, those objects of prohibition and injunction, the subject matter of the scriptures, it is necessary to speak of the knowledge of the unity of the self and Brahman, which knowledge is opposed to this ignorance is devoid of any tinge of superimposition on the self of activity, agentship and enjoyment and has for its object, absolute emancipation. If that's not a mouthful, I don't know what is. (laughs) Let's see now. Okay. I'm going back to the Sanskrit and So he says, now having done with the first and the second boons, what are we, what are we going to see? He says, Brahmaatma uh, ekatva vijnanam bhaktabhyam. Now it is to be taught the identity of Brahman and Atman. Basically, yourself is that infinite reality. You are that infinite reality. This has to be taught. Why? And what is the nature of this knowledge? To remove, he says, what is the purpose of all of this? This, this teaching of Vedanta, nivritti, to remove, to negate, to cancel, what? Samsara, our samsara. What is the nature of this samsara? He says, "Vidhi Pratisheda attha." The uh, what is the object of the do's and don'ts mentioned in the ritualistic portion of the Vedas? The you do this ritual. You want um, money. You want wealth. You want a kingdom in this world, and in the world next, you want to go to heaven. And here are the Vedic commandments do this ritual do that ritual and do the other ritual and then you will get the results of all of that do good deeds um, get a lot of good good uh, good karma as a result of it your what you want you will get you will get so injunctions and prohibitions do's and don'ts there is a kind of religion which deals with do's and don'ts and that's part of samsara so that's the first thing he says um, the, there is a portion of the Vedas, the earlier portion of the Vedas, which deals with conventional religion, do's and don'ts. Why do's and don'ts? Do, does our samsara depend on Vedas or do's and don'ts or conventional religion? No. Samsara, is it's there with us. We are born into it. But if you want to make a good uh, deal out of it, if you want the best possible life here, Uh, If you want not a tragedy, but a comedy or, you know, in the sense of a pleasant life here in this world for yourself and your family and your community, and you want to go to heaven afterwards, again, a pleasant afterlife. Um, Instead of, you know, being a ghost and uh, having a haunted house and saying boo to people, that's a terrible existence. Rather, you go to heaven. So all of that, if you want, and who doesn't want it? Everybody wants a good existence here. That's what conventional religion deals with. That's what uh, the karma kanda of the Vedas, the ritualistic portion of the Vedas deals with. Um, what is its nature? kriya It is, char- Lakshana means characterized. Characterized by, um, Kriya, Karaka, Phala. This is an amazing way of putting it. Kriya means action. What action? Worldly action. You earn money, have a job, raise a family. That's Kriya. And also, religious action. You perform rituals, pujas and whatnot. Um, All of it, what does it do? Phala. It leads to results. How do you do it? Karaka. Karaka is one word which is very powerful. It comes from Sanskrit grammar. All the objects of uh, all the factors involved in action are called karaka. So, the subject of action, the one who does action, who does action? I, but which I? Not the aham brahmasmi, I brahman, no. It is the absolute reality itself, but occluded by, obscured by, hidden by natural ignorance. In identification with a particular mind and a particular body, That's what in plain language we call your average guy, the person on the street. So that person is the subject of action, the one who does action. So subject, that's a karaka. The object of action, so maybe somebody is eating food. The food is the uh, object of action. And then the uh, the location, where do you do it? Uh, Then the instruments by which you do it, with your hands or with a fork, uh, you drive to work with a car, those instruments are called karana. They are also part of the, uh, the factors involved in action. So the subject of action, the object of action, the instruments of action, the location of action, all of that is called karaka. What do they do? They enable action to happen. And what is the result of action? Good and bad, papa and punya merit and demerit good karma and bad karma and the result of that is sukha and dukkha happiness and misery so you have these three kriya karaka phala action the factors of action and the result of action what action all action secular and religious what are the factors everything that you is involved in an action you the person the car you drive in the office you are driving to all of that and the result of action uh, is um, ultimately good and bad. The good karma and bad karma. I mean, you might say the say result of action is making a million dollars in the stock market. Yes, but with that, uh, you generate good karma and bad karma. That's also part of the action. And that's the, only the intermediate result of the action. It will give you ultimately happiness. That's the result of good karma. It gives you ultimately misery. That's the result of bad karma. All of this kriya karaka phala adhyarop it is superimposed upon the real self atmani adhyarop superimposed upon the real self um, why swabhavika agyanasya so swabhavika swabhavikasya agyanasya because of ignorance ignorance of what of our real nature And this ignorance is inseparable from the Atman. This might be stunning to people, but after all, we all are trained in Vedanta. We have to get rid of ignorance. We have to cancel ignorance. We have to generate Vedantic knowledge. Uh, I feel I am the body-mind due to ignorance. Generate the knowledge that I am Brahman, and that cancels the ignorance. If ignorance is inseparable from uh, the real self, from Brahman, then isn't it asking for trouble? No, inseparable here, Swabhavika means, does not mean it is the real nature of Brahman. Ignorance is not part, maya is not part of the real nature of Brahman. Rather, it is inseparable in what sense? Just as the false snake is inseparable from the real rope. That which is false cannot be separated from the reality. If you separate it, it disappears. So there is ignorance, which is swabhavika, which is naturally there in, in ourself. We can negate it. We will generate knowledge, jnana which will negate ignorance, ajnana, and that will remove samsara. But as long as ignorance is there, as long as samsara is there, it is inseparable from you, the real nature, from Brahman. It's inseparable means it exists or appears, doesn't exist. It appears without existing, like an illusion, like a dream. The dream dream is inseparable from the dreamer, you see? Dreamer is separable from the dream. You will not call, the, when the dream disappears, you will not call yourself a dreamer anymore. But you will you will call yourself, I have woken up from the dream. But you are the same person who dreamt. Um, so the dream cannot exist separ- separate from the dreamer. Although the dreamer can exist separate from the dream. So Brahman can exist without ignorance. That's the enlightened uh, state. But uh, ignorance cannot exist without Brahman. That's all he, he means when he says Swabhavika. It, all other meaning is there. Uh, it comes naturally with, with us. So we are born in ignorance. That was the old Christian idea of the original sin. Born in sin. Born in ignorance. Um, so uh, we don't have to go to Vedanta class to get this ignorance. We need a Vedanta class to remove the ignorance. Ignorance comes free. Yeah. It, it's... Um, It is an uh, option included free with the product. When you buy it from the market, it's given. You don't have to ask for an extra. Uh, It is there. And this ignorance is the root of samsara. Samsara viyasyam. It's the root of samsara. To remove this, this root of samsara, what is root of samsara? Ignorance. Where did it come from? It's natural. swabhavika. What is the nature of this ignorance? Kriya karaka phala adhyarova superimposition of uh, action, factors of action, results of action. On what Atmani on yourself. This is the nature of samsara and its cause. To remove this, why would you want to remove it? Suffering. You're tired of it. This is endless world of coming and going, being um, born its body and then aging and dying and then being a ghost <laughs> and going to heavens and hells. Even the nice words to be enjoyed through the ritualistic portion of the Vedas, all of that is still samsara. Ihaloka, paraloka. Ihaloka means this world, Paraloka means the other words. But they are all words. They are all temporary. They are all ultimately subject to dissatisfaction. If it is hellish worlds, naraka, then terrible pain and suffering. Horrible. If it's the heavenly words, it is mild dissatisfaction. Still not, not satisfying ultimately. When it comes to an end. It does not lead to any lasting fulfillment. So you want to remove it. Divritti. Removal of all of this. For that, what do you do? Now comes Vedanta. Quite contrary to this. To what? All of this which was discussed. Quite contrary to this. Brahmatma ikatva kriya karaka phala shunyam at, uh, so what is the nature of this knowledge brahmatmaikyam tells you that you the self are brahman this will show you that what is the result of that um, it is the removal of the superimposition of kriya karaka phalam. action the factors of action and the results of action were su- superimposed on us. This is the removal of that superimposition, de-superimposition. In Vivekananda's language, hypnotization and de-hypnotization. So the nature of Vedanta is de-hypnotization. It removes. Shunyam, negated, removed. And uh, what is the result of this? Atyantika The absolute freedom from suffering. Complete transcendence of samsara. This is the result. This is prayojanam. This is the Purpose or or the result of um, Vedanta. One is samsara. This is moksha. The the one is first boon, second boon. This is third boon. I actually did a little exercise comparing the two. I wrote down the results of that. I made this little uh, scratch pad and I wrote down scribbled. So on two two, um, columns, first boon, second boon is one column, and the third boon is this column. Remember the first boon and second boon. The first boon, um, Nachiketa took care of his worldly problems. That is, his father was annoyed with him. and uh, So he wanted to settle all this. So that's just uh, a symbol, uh, an indicator, which includes all of our worldly problems. Your family, your physical health, your job, your ambitions in the world, your personal story, whatever it is, that's uh, the first boon. The second boon is the otherworldly problem. How do I ensure? See, for our modern people, most of people, they don't believe too much in heaven and all that, so they're not worried. The ancients were worried about the future. Um, there's this joke, a lawyer joke with apologies to all the lawyers here. They uh, always they're the butt of jokes, you know. So this lawyer was on his deathbed. And no, he was never known to be a particularly religious person. So on his deathbed in the ICU in the hospital, so somebody this somebody who was a visitor saw this lawyer. He was quickly going through the Bible, like looking through it. So oh, so at the point of death you become religious? And he says, oh, not at all. I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> so this is what I have to confront now. He knows I'm dying now. Now I'm going to confront the next, the other world. So the ancient people in all religions, everywhere, they were very aware that this is this world and there's this other world and we have to be uh, aware of you know, getting enough good karma, being good people in this world, which will help us not only here but hereafter. So that's the second boon. Nachiketa asks for the greatest and best Vedic sacrifice, which, which will take him, which will give so much good karma, it will take him to the highest heaven after death. These are the first boon and the second boon third boon is this question he has asked, the question about real nature of the self. So what are the distinctions? What distinctions did I find? Quickly, running through them. Um, First, the first and second boons are about the karma portion of the Vedas, karma kanda. The third boon is about jnana kanda, the Upanishad portion of the Vedas. Second distinction. The first and second boons come under the ambit of the philosophy called purvam imamsa. It's a system of philosophy which deals with rites and rituals and Vedic, you know, Vedic ritualism. Purva Mimamsa. The third boon comes under the philosophy called Vedanta. That's us. Some of you have nodded in recognition. Yeah, I've heard that term, Vedanta. So it's, it's, that's our area, that's the third boon. Then um, the first and second boons are concerned with the worlds, this world and the next world. Ihaloka, Paraloka. Um, The third boon is concerned with Brahman. To put it into perspective, the first and second boons are concerned with the movies which are being played. And the third boon is concerned with the reality of the screen on which the movies are being played. The, The Karma Kanda of the Vedas ensure that the movies which are being played are not horror movies not tragedies they are comedies they are nice movies but a what do you call feel good movie but and without without the karma kanda without religion without ethics also those movies will continue to be played but they are more likely to be horror movies and tragedies that's the difference but what does the third boon tell us it's a movie whether it's a horror movie a tragedy or a comedy It's a movie. There is a reality beyond that. And that reality is, of course, you yourself. But that's the third boon. Then the next thing which I said was, all of this, this world and that world and so on and so forth, is anatma. The first boon and the second boon are about anatma, not self. capital S self, not self. Other than you, that which is other than the self. First boon and second boon are about that. The third boon is about the self, atma, about yourself. Then the fifth distinction I found was that the first boon and the second boon are all set in dvaita, duality, plurality, difference. The third boon is about advaita, about non-duality. Then the sixth difference I found was, what I'm using Shankaracharya's sentence, uh, the first two boons are about Kriya Karaka Phala, about action, the factors of action, and the result of action in Shankaracharya's terms. You notice the first two boons? Something to be done, and the, um, how do I do it, and what is the result I get out of it? So that's the first two boons. The second, uh, the third boon is Kriya Karaka Phala Shunyam, the negation of uh, action, the factors of action, and the result of action. I go beyond that. Then the seventh distinction, all of this you can summarize in one word, adhyaropa apavada, superimposition, desuperimposition, hypnotization, dehypnotization. The first and second boons are in the realm of hypnotization. The technical philosophical word is superimposition. In Sanskrit, adhyaropa. That which is not there is imposed upon you. It appears. It's in the dream world. It's superimposed on your mind, and uh, the third boon is about de superimposition. Apavada, apavada is negation or de superimposition, or in, um, in Swami Vivekananda's words, dehypnotization, waking up basically. This is ah, right in the Buddha's words. The first and second boons are in sleep or dream, and the third boon is waking up. Not this this waking up, but waking up to reality. Um, first and second boons are the third boon is about being a Buddha. The third boon is about being a Buddha. Then the first and second boons are about being buddhu. I mean, only in Hindi it works or in Indian languages it means fool. Buddha is the awakened one, and the bud, the word buddhu means a fool. So first and second boons are in the realm of buddhu, <laughs> and the third boon is being a Buddha. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. And then the eighth difference I found was all of this can again be summarized in one word, agyana, ignorance. The first and second boons are in the realm of ignorance. And the third boon is in the realm of jnana, knowledge. Um, The ninth distinction I found was the first and second boons are samsara. And the third boon is moksha, freedom. So, these are the distinctions. And so, uh, Shankaracharya says, now this has to be, this knowledge has to be given to us. The knowledge about the self, and the knowledge which is dehypnotizing, the knowledge which takes us to moksha, the knowledge which is non duality, this has to be given to us now. Uh, that is the subject of the rest of the book, Shankaracharya says. Um, what else does he say? So, he says also that. Um, whatever has come till now, Mm -hmm. why is it being rejected? Why do you want to transcend it? Because it's not satisfying. So what if it's not satisfying? But we want it to be satisfying. Our whole project was, how can I be fulfilled? How can I be deeply satisfied? I'm seeking some profound rest, satisfaction, peace, fulfillment. And the ways I have been seeking it in this world and the next through worldly activity and religious activity, it can at best smooth things and generate a nice, uh, a nicer environment, a better place for me, this world and the next world. But it's not satisfying, not fulfillment. I do not find fulfillment in in wealth, in pleasure, in, um, in children, in um, a job, in power, status, in nowhere I don't find fulfillment. And so, I look for the possibility that there is some lasting, deep fulfillment, and therefore, I look to the third, third question. Third question becomes important uh, because of the inherent unsatisfactoriness of samsara, this world, and also the next world. That doesn't mean that all of that what was taught is wrong. No, in this world, as long as you are in this. Call it a dream, samsara, maya, whatever it is. It can bite. So you have to be careful here. Therefore, ethical life is better than non-ethical life. Um, devout religious life is better than um, you know a skeptical life or uh, you know, totally worldly life. These are better. A disciplined life is better than the, uh, indisciplined life. So um, definitely what is taught, in ethics and in religion is all very good and helpful. It transforms the tragedy into a comedy or into something pleasant. The unpleasant into a pleasant, better life for yourself and for everybody else. It's worth doing. However, um, it is the third one which tells us that tragedy or comedy, it's still a movie. The reality lies beyond this call it God, Brahman, Atman, the absolute, whatever you call it, you must seek that. Um, And you will be forced to seek that. That's why we are going to the third boon. Let me quickly take a look at the questions. So Krishnamurti Vishwanath is asking, is the following understanding correct? It appears that the Jivatma which is travelling from death to death is only the product of ignorance. Um, if our real self is not the jivatma, then the quest to be enlightened also seems to be moved. Once the identification of the jivatma is negated, then we might find that we are trying to free something that never existed. And what we really are is ever free. Thank you. All right. Um, this needs a little bit of thinking about. It appears that the Jivatma, which is traveling from death to death, is only the product of ignorance. The traveling is a product of ignorance. Going from death to death is a product of ignorance. But the Jivatma itself is actually not a product of ignorance because the Jivatma is actually Brahman. Brahma satyam jagat mithya jiva brahmaivanapara. If the Jiva were entirely a product of ignorance, then we would have said that Jiva Mithya. Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya, Jiva Mithya. No. We will say that Jiva is Brahman. See, ultimately, even Jagat is Brahman. The world is Brahman. Let me put it in English Brahman is the only reality. The world is an appearance. The Jiva, sentient being, you. Here is the question Are you a product of ignorance or are you the absolute reality? You are the absolute reality. Only as the product of ignorance is the superimposition of, as Shankaracharya says, body-mind. In, in the more philosophical language of Shankaracharya, kriya-karaka-phala. The factors of action, body, mind, sense organs, the objects of action, you know the things in the world, and the instruments of action, and the subject of action, all of this is superimposed by ignorance. That is the product of ignorance. Once this is removed, the Jivatma realises real nature is the absolute. You are Brahman. The product of ignorance is what? Snake is the product of ignorance. A rope snake. Don't know the rope, it produces the snake. What is the nature of the snake? Nature of the snake is it's a product of ignorance. It's false. It's not really a snake. What is real? It is um, the rope only. The rope has to be realised. Similarly, the world is false; it's an appearance, product of ignorance. In that sense, the jivatma is, uh, and it is more helpful. I'll be very careful here. It's more helpful to say that the jivatma is Brahman rather than a product of ignorance. Imagine in your dream, you are there in your own dream, and you see many places, many people. Whatever you see in your dream is a product of the dream, ignorance. But you, the person in the dream, That also being a person in the dream is a product of ignorance. But you essentially are nothing other than the dreamer. So the Jivatma is essentially nothing other than Brahman. Only a technical difference, but it has a practical significance. It shows you the way of sadhana. You have to realize I am Brahman, not to realize I am false. I am Brahman. That which is contradictory to my being, Brahman, that is false. It's a product of ignorance. If our real self is not the Jivatma, then the quest to be enlightened also seems to be moot. Yes, ultimately the quest to be enlightened is is moot only because we are suffering. We cannot deny that we, we are in samsara, we are under the influence of this hypnotization or superimposition. Therefore, the quest is useful. If you say, oh, I am Brahman, then why do I need to do all of this? Very good, the answer will be, don't do. See where that gets you. <laughs> See, when I say I am Brahman, is it a vivid living experience? If it was a vivid living experience for you and reporting of the truth that you, which you feel, then there is really no problem for you. But if it's just an understanding, I hear all these things and I say, oh, Vedanta is telling me I am Brahman. Up to that is correct. If Vedanta is telling me I'm Brahman, good. Then you follow it up. Once this identification with Jivatma is negated, identification with Jivatma negated means Jivatma realizes I am Brahman. Then we might find we were trying to free that some something that never existed, and what we are really are is ever free. That part is correct. Abhijit asks. Can we say one more distinction? The first and second is based on doing rituals or going back to his father. The third one is based on inquiry. Correct. The first one is based on action. The third, uh, the third, first and second are based on action. The third one is based on uh, inquiry, which are what do you have to do in the first and second? Action. You have to do something. It could be a worldly thing, like go get a job, shape up, get your life together or go to the temple or the church and perform the r- ritual which is prescribed by your, uh, you know, your church or your uh, religious denomination. So that is secular action and sacred action. It's action. But in Vedanta, what do you have to do? Nothing. It is actually inquiry. It's not a kind of action. It is deploying the instruments of knowledge, which is Upanishads, and generating the knowledge necessary for liberation. That's it. It is recognizing a reality. That's what, what is done in Vedanta. Kiran says, the first two are in the realm of Avidya Maya and third is in the realm is in Vidya Maya. Is this correct? Yes, correct. I put it in another sense. The first two are in the realm of Ajnana. The second one is in the realm of Jnana. But both are Maya in that sense. Both are the glory of God in the sense, Ishwaras Maya. One traps us in samsara, the other one liberates us from samsara. So even Gnana, once you re- realize you are Brahman, even that Gnana also you see as part of Samsara itself, as part of uh, Maya. Siddharth says, is thinking a bad or harmful thought, bad Kriya, though one might not have acted on it. Holy Mother says, in this Kali Yoga, she says to a devotee, my child, in this Kali Yoga, a sin committed in the mind is not a sin, is not a papa. Moner Pap Pap Noi. But, but, one has to be careful. That's why one should not uh, entertain negative thoughts, vicious thoughts, uh, tamasic thoughts, or, or uh, these things if we entertain it. What happens is it becomes a part of our character. Then what, we, what I entertain continuously in my mind, that, will, that I'll start speaking about it. It will come to the level of words, verbal. Finally, it will come to the re- level of uh, action. You know, related to this, this thinking. I've been thinking about this, I don't know what the answer is. This whole problem of, um, you know, hate speech and um, freedom of speech is a related issue, not directly related to Vedanta, um, sort of marginal. See, the dilemma I am thinking about is free speech is really good. It's, It's a value which should be defended and to an extreme also. Even... Hateful speech also could, should be free speech and so on and so forth. Whatever. If it's offensive speech, that also should be free speech. I find, I'm fine with that, actually. But, but I cannot deny that speech comes from thought. So if I'm speaking hateful things, if I'm speaking offensive things, it's reflecting my thinking. And thinking and speech have a tendency to flow into action what you are seeing when you say complete freedom of speech. You are saying you you will not be charged for, prosecuted for, persecuted for uh, anything that you say, mostly, unless you incite people to violence or things like that. But you cannot do anything and everything. Your action is seriously prescribed by law. There are a lot of things that you cannot do. Law stops. Somebody said your freedom stops. Your freedom to swing your stick stops at the tip of my nose. (laughs) You can swing it as much as possible, but It should not come any further than this. So law prescribes, it limits your action greatly. So action is limited strictly by law. It's regulated by law. But thought is not regulated. Luckily, even speech is not mostly not regulated. But here is the dilemma. Thought and speech inevitably flow into action. So if somebody is protected by law by saying, Awful things, hateful things, offensive things. There is a chance that some of those people um, will try to translate those thoughts and speech into actual action, do something uh, fanatical, violent, hateful. But then what do you do? You, You can, I don't know, because freedom of speech is a valuable thing. Jayashree says, Is it correct to say that Jivatma is a reflection of the pure consciousness? Jivatma is reflection of pure consciousness? Yes, when you include the pure consciousness. So, if I say reflected face, original face is there, mirror is there, reflected face is there. So, this is if you understand this by reflected face, fine. If you say Jivatma is reflection of pure consciousness and has nothing to do with the pure consciousness, no. The moment you say Jivatma, pure consciousness is implied also there. But pure consciousness in itself does not depend on the Jivatma. Without the reflection also original face can exist. Mirror, if you take it away, no reflection. Why I am saying this is always when you speak about Jivatma, Brahman is in the background. You are Brahman. So in the pot, water, reflected sun, original sun example, always, always think of yourself as the original sun. The tendency is, because of our, our, our present Condition the tendency is to see ourselves as I am this little spark of light in the pot in the water in the pot. Yes, I understand I'm not the pot I'm not the water, but I'm this little consciousness in in little light in the water. No, no, no. You are that vastness which is shining in that little dot of light there. We just don't know it, and that has that is what Vedanta is trying to show us. That's why we are here in Vedanta. Sri says. Mahapurushji Swami Shivananda tells his visitor Ganga Charan Mukherjee not to grieve for his deceased wife because Mahapurushji knows she is in Shiva Loka. Does Mahapurushji say this figuratively or does he actually know that the subtle body of the wife is residing? Because he has absolute knowledge. Now, all of us, I and all of you can reassure ourselves and everybody else that nobody comes to an end with death. Nobody ever comes to an end with death. That much we know on the basis of Vedanta. At the very least we say we don't know, we can at least we say we believe very strongly. That much we know. Or we believe very strongly. But in the case of um, enlightened yogis like Swami Shivanandaji and other direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, they know something beyond this. They may know the what is called gati, the, the destiny of a particular jivatma. It's like somebody, like the gardener who knows the gardener, who knows where the water from the last pot was poured and which pot it is in now, knows that. So someone like Sivanandaji might know that. So when he says, your uh, wife's the, the Jivatma, which was your wife in the earlier birth, before death, that Jivatma exists. That much we can all say, everybody can say. But that it is in a particular world, a very high world, Loka, which is the same as Brahma Loka. That only he has the right to say. He maybe has some mystic knowledge of that. Otherwise, we can't say that. We have no idea. How not to make, mix up the ego and Jivatma? Ego is an activity. It's like a ripple in that pot of water. The ripple in the water would be the ego. It's an activity in the mind. You Beyond the activity in the mind is the reflected sun. The activity in the water is a reflected sun. Beyond that is the original sun. So you are the original sun and reflected in the water of the mind, the the mind itself as the reflected consciousness. In the mind, there is a wave which is called ahankara, ego. That much is the difference between you and um, the ego. Prabir Basu says, unlike dream, why does the same world appear before us every time we wake up from deep sleep? It's because of our Prarabdha Karma. That is the loka we are uh, inhabiting right now. Because of our past karma, we are in this particular loka. When you fall asleep, you generate a virtual experience which you call a dream that you snap out of, but you wake up into this particular loka because you as the jivatma, right now, by your past karma, you are in this world, uh, this particular loka. Okay. Good. (laughs) Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Harihi Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupa Namastu.